UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. As nearly a million people celebrated the Chiefs' Super Bowl victory, Kansas City became one of the most recent communities to feel the firsthand effects of a mass shooting. As it often does in the aftermath of one of these tragic events, the country has dug into the political trenches of stricter gun laws and those who believe new regulations infringe upon the Second Amendment. Today, I'm joined by former Missouri Secretary of State Jason Kander, who suggests an alternative option that would force the gun industry to police itself. Jason's podcast is Majority 54, and it's always a pleasure to have him here with us. Welcome back. Good to see you. Always good to be here. You bet. As the region celebrated another Super Bowl title last week, Kansas City became, you know, yet another community grappling with heartbreak, fear, and anger. How are you processing what happened there? Uh, You know, it's so discouraging that this happens and, uh, it's become normal, but this yeah. is the first time that it's happened here. Right. And so I guess the part of the way I'm processing it is I think we're all still processing it and will be for quite a while, and yet we're watching the rest of the world go by, which is apparently what it's been like in every other community where this has happened. And right. so, you know, like I – in my work, I deal with people all over the country, and so – it's almost startling and I don't, I understand it, but it's almost startling that like I'll start off a conversation with somebody in San Antonio or wherever and they don't mention it. And it, and I understand why they don't mention it, but it still feels strange because to us, we're all still living in this cloud. You know, you said on MSNBC uh, the other day that uh, pretty simply that you were ticked off. Yeah. You edited me. Thanks. I edited you because I can't use the other word. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think a lot of us feel this way that it's so clear that we don't know what gun law it would have been that necessarily would have stopped this, but there is, I think, for most of Americans, an overwhelming sense that, boy, we could try something. Uh, We could maybe attempt something, and no doubt it would at least mitigate the likelihood of this happening. And that's why I felt so angry and still feel so angry is just to live in this fear for we're all going through this collective trauma over and over again. And some people like, you know, my high school classmate, Lisa uh, Lopez Galvin are not with us and you can't help but feel like there's a possibility it could have been prevented if we just did something. And so that's why I feel so angry. You know, I asked one of my classes yesterday up at UMKC where I also teach and I asked them, hey, next year when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl again, how many of you would show up for a Super Bowl parade? 25 kids in the class, not one hand in the air. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be a statement? We win it again next year and nobody shows up for the parade. Look, that's one of the things that I think worries me so much about this trend across the country is that we are already a society that we're, we're so distant from one another. And the opportunities for communal celebration – are so few and far between, and they're so important. And if we can't do that safely, it's only going to drive us further apart culturally. Well, I think that's a great point. Well, one thing that you're talking about that maybe we can try is something called the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. This was something that Congress passed in 2005. Explain to our listeners, what are you talking about with the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act? Yeah. So instead of, I, I just wanted to try and 
approach it differently uh, because we need to break through at some point. And I genuinely believe that this is the very first thing we should do. And the different approach is instead of talking about a law we need to pass when we know that there are laws we need to pass, but there are a lot of there's there are problems in the system that are keeping those laws from passing. I thought let's let's bring up a law that we should go without. Um, so to to explain PLACA, which is how the PLCAA is generally referred to, you have to go back to the '90s. In the '90s, there were a bunch of lawsuits, some of them successful, against the firearms manufacturers. And what you should think of when you think of this are, are sort of like the lawsuits against tobacco, right? One of the big breaking points in the tobacco litigation was when it came out that they actually did have studies that showed that it was more carcinogenic right. than they were letting on. So they had science that they weren't utilizing, and that led to major lawsuits. Well, if you think about it in an analogous way, there were lawsuits in the 90s that were saying, look, to the gun companies, you make this extremely dangerous product. And you are not really looking into who you're dealing it to. You're not taking proper precautions. Now, most industries, tobacco included, when they get these kind of lawsuits, they reform because it costs so much to be held liable in court. That's not what the gunmakers did. The gunmakers went to Congress and they got a law passed that is a liability shield that makes it so that you can't sue the the gunmakers for anything that involves their product working the way it's supposed to. So if mm. the wrong person gets it, doesn't matter as long as the gun fired when it was supposed to. If the, you know, if like the reason I bring up the science about it being more carcinogenic with cigarettes is that we know that the science and the technology absolutely exists now to have smart guns. We've been talking about them forever. I'll ask you about that. Yeah. yeah. But like a gun where you pick it up and, and the only person who can use it is you. It's, it's, set for you, just like your phone or anything else. That exists. But the gun companies aren't doing anything to bring them to market because they don't have to. If PLACA didn't exist, if we hadn't passed it in 2005, juries all over this country would have looked at that already and said, that's not reasonable. You have the technology to do this and to keep people safe. And it would have forced them into actually having to create smart guns. Oh, there have been some exceptions. We re recently saw families of the victims of Sandy Hook successfully file a lawsuit against Remington, and they won Jason do you know anything about how common it is to have a successful lawsuit these days? It's extremely uncommon. Extremely uncommon. <laughs> and yeah. if I recall correctly, what they had to do there is they had to change the law in the state of Connecticut in order to bring that as a state as a state level suit, um, because there are, I believe, thirty states, uh, including I think Missouri and Kansas, that have their own versions of placa at the state level. Um, and so, and Connecticut is home has been traditionally home to uh, several gun makers. So they had they had a law like that, but so a special law, if I recall correctly, was passed in Connecticut in order to bring that sort of lawsuit. But even then, you're only at the state level, which minimizes your ability to actually reach into the pockets of the gun companies, and therefore mitigates their liability. So if there was wasn't placa that law wasn't around right now, in the wake of what happened in Kansas City last week. How could people sue a, a gun manufacturer? What would happen? Well, first, we got to remember what a jury is, right? A jury is really the foundation of the whole concept of America. It's 12 reasonable people being impaneled to decide what their community standard is for conduct, right? Particularly when you talk about not criminal suits, but civil suits, right? And we got to remember that that is a foundational part of America. The Seventh Amendment to the Constitution says that if you have a, a disagreement of more than $20, you have a right to a jury trial over it. We never talk about that. We talk about the Second Amendment. We don't talk about the Seventh. So that's the foundation, really, of American democracy. 
And so what I'm talking about is if you just treat gun companies the way every other company in this country for the most part gets treated, that means that 12 Kansas Cityans could be impaneled in a lawsuit and they could say, you know what, whoever, I don't know who the gun maker was that was used, they could say, you know what, Smith & Wesson, we, we've now seen evidence, thanks to depositions and discovery, that shows that you know how to make smart guns. We've seen evidence that shows that you do absolutely nothing to look at who's actually purchasing the guns. You just mm -hmm. sell them to the distributor and you move on. We've decided that our community standard for your behavior is higher than that. Yeah. And, and as a result, they're going to adjust in order to avoid liability. Remind our listeners what a smart gun is, because this is was something new to me reading yeah. about this last night. A smart gun is is you know think about how your phone works, right? Like the prior generation of iPhones, for instance, was your thumbprint, right? And now it's your face. Uh, a smart gun is is just basically Same when thing. you put your hand on on the on the stock on the handle, it either recognizes your handprint or your fingerprint, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, it doesn't work. Now there's some like keyboard warriors out there maybe listening to me right now who are going to come on Twitter and they're going to say, yeah, but what if I need it to work right away? Okay, first of all, I'm sure that that technology is, is possible. Second of all, it doesn't mean that it has to be entered every time. You could put your hand on that and then it could, say, work within 24 hours. There's all sorts of things that could mm -hmm. happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, but really, you ought to be locking your weapon up anyway so you could have the handprint on on your safe. Like there's so many different ways to do it. But this is important because the vast majority of gun crime in this country is committed using stolen guns. Mm -hmm. So there's no question that when we talk about uh, smart guns, it's going to decrease the likelihood of violence. Or kids grabbing mommy or daddy's gun at home exactly. and shooting themselves, all these horrible accidents you hear the about. The leading cause of death among children in this country right now is guns. Wow. Wow. Well, so placa aside, you served in the General Assembly for any number of years. I used to cover you down there. What's your sense of why uh, the General Assembly in Missouri is so intractable when it comes these days to changing the laws that so many Kansas Cityans are now saying need to be changed? Yeah, well, because when you look at the way the legislature is made up and you look at the way you know districts are drawn and the whole thing, um, look, I, when I first got to Jefferson City, I thought partisan politics meant Democrats versus Republicans and vice versa. And the truth is, partisan politics does dominate in Jefferson City. But what it turns out, and this is true, I think, in a lot of state capitals, is that you have a lot of people who are trying to get to the next level. And as a result, they're not thinking about battling against Democrats if they're Republicans and vice versa. They're thinking, who else in my party might also want the job that I'm going after next? And this is particularly true right now in the state of Missouri, where the Republicans are dominating statewide elections and they're dominating the legislature. And we have term limits. So people are quickly looking for higher office shortly after they get elected, elected e to the Missouri House. Exactly. Yeah. And so, look, I guarantee you that there are a whole lot of people that if you have private conversations with them, state senators, some of the state reps in Jefferson City, they're going to admit to you maybe that some of these reforms make sense. But you know, the most important thing to them is if they're a state rep, they got to get to that state Senate seat. And if and if they do something that the NRA doesn't like, and by the way, it takes just about nothing for the NRA to not like something. Like when I when somebody tells me that they're pro-gun, I walk them through the NRA candidate questionnaire and they always fail. They always end up with an F because the NRA demands absolute total fealty to everything that they want. That's the problem. So my argument on PLACA here, in addition to the policy argument, is that there's a political case to be made that this is a more effective way to go about it because the NRA and the gun companies have effectively convinced Americans that this debate is about 
people who want gun safety versus people who own or like guns. And that's not true. The real, the real distinction here, the real verses in this fight ought to be every single American, including those who love guns, versus greedy gun companies who just want to avoid liability and don't want to be held to a higher standard. I'm visiting with author, podcaster, former presidential candidate, former Missouri Secretary of State, Jason Kander. You know, there are reports that the alleged shooters at the rally last week had long guns and semi-automatic style weapons, if you will. As a veteran like yourself, who's familiar with these style weapons and a gun owner yourself, is there a place for these types of guns commonly referred to as assault weapons in the civilian population? Look, I don't think so. Um, I, I don't believe that we have any need uh, to have assault rifles um, and assault weapons in, in – I mean, it's a weapon of war. Like, it just is. The, the reason that I was able in that ad that people know to assemble a, an AR-15 blindfolded is because it is the exact same rifle as the M4 or the M16, which is what I was trained on and which is what I had to clean in the dark all the time. You know, but It's the same weapon. Um, so – no, I don't think that's necessary. But going back to PLACA for a second, instead of us having this debate about whether the government could uh, successfully define what an assault weapon is and keep it actually uh, outlawed, look, if, if PLACA were in place, juries and courts all over the country would say, look, that is not a safe product. And as a result, you would actually have, in many ways, a functional assault weapons ban. And in Missouri, kids can legally carry around AKs and yeah. uh, assault weapons. That's that's okay. That's okay. That's okay with the law. And it's, it's especially absurd when you like the point you were making when you compare it to how the military treats it. Like, you know, we're pretty adept at weapons in the military. Like, they give us lessons and stuff. And yet, when you pull onto when, like when you move onto a military base as an active duty member, if you own a a weapon, could even a pistol. You have to register it with the base. You like you have to go through all sorts of steps. Like they have to know where it is. It has to be locked up a certain way. You can't just carry it around. That's on a military base where everybody is highly trained. I think that there's something to be learned from that. You know, so is it your suggestion as we talk about gun policy in this country then that the focus should be on getting rid of PLACA as opposed to trying to fight uh, the same old fight over gun laws in the country, which don't seem to be moving anywhere? Look, I'm on the board of Giffords. I'm still for all of those things. You know, I still want an assault weapons ban. I still want background checks. I, I want all of those things. But realistically, I think we need to focus our energy on trying to repeal the one law that's that has the most to do with gun violence right now. I mean, Gun violence in the United States since PLACA was signed by George W. Bush in 2005 has gone up 59%. So if I could only change one law, I would repeal that law because the courts are really part of the market, right? Mm -hmm. It is really a, a bit of a free market approach to trying to rein in gun violence because the courts are a force upon the market. Are you seeing much attention being placed on PLACA? Are, are groups picking up on this idea? Uh, yeah, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised that um, in the last few days since I started railing about it, uh, that more folks have been talking about it. The folks at Giffords have talked about it for a while. But Giffords is the Gabby Giffords, what we're talking about. Yeah, the, Gabby Giffords Organization of Fight Gun Violence. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. And uh, 
So we've been talking about it for a while, but now we're sort of, I think, centering it a little bit more uh, as of the last week. And yeah, I've been seeing it get picked up quite a bit, which I'm pleased by. We'll be right back. Let's turn to a different topic. Again, Jason Kander is my guest. There's a big presidential election coming up this year and a big election for Missouri governor. Are guns now the issue in the wake of what happened last week? I mean, until last week, it seemed to me like abortion was the hot issue. Has that switched? Uh, I Nationally, I doubt it. I think that the Dobbs decision is probably going to still be one of the biggest motivators for voters, particularly on the progressive side. Um, but I think guns are pretty close behind it. And I actually think that it's in a way that is deceptive. Because when you look at the polling, uh, what you see often is people, even though crime is down, you'll see people putting crime very high on their mm-hmm. list of priorities. And I actually think that buried within that is people are talking really about gun violence. They may not express it as gun violence is their top issue. But the reason I think that is if you look back at like the midterm elections, there were a lot of voters who went in and in the in the entrance polls, they were saying that one of their top issues was crime. And so a lot of pundits were saying, oh, wow, this is not good for the Democrats. That that issue tends to lean toward the Republicans. And then the exit polls, a lot of people were coming out and those same voters were voting uh, for Democrats. And so I think what that shows you is, is that a lot of voters are expressing crime as one of their top issues. But a big percentage of those people, what they mean is gun violence. You know, a lot of Democrats out across the country are getting really more and more concerned each day that it's looking like as of if the election was tomorrow, Donald Trump would probably win. What do you make of that? Look, I'm pretty worried, but I also keep in mind the fact that, thank goodness, the election's not tomorrow. Yeah. Um, There's something to be said about the fact that campaigns exist for a reason and Mm -hmm. the polls at the beginning of an election year are a lot different than the polls at the end because there's a strategy in place. There's an argument to be made. There's campaigns to be run. There's campaigns to be run. And um, I'm not saying it's all sunshine and rainbows. Like I'm pretty worried, Uh, but we got a ways to go and a lot of work to do. I mean, do you think the court cases that face Donald Trump are eventually going to catch up with him because they don't appear to be catching up with him yet? Um, I am... I am cautiously optimistic about the idea that at this point, a lot of the persuadable voters have not really engaged to a great degree. And I don't think it's really set in for people entirely that it really is going to be Trump versus Biden again. I mean, I think people are like, really? That, you know, it doesn't seem realistic. But more than that, I think it doesn't seem realistic that it's going to be Trump again. But once that becomes a reality and, and, People who are not paying quite as much of attention right now say, okay, he really is going to be the nominee. And then when he really is in court facing felony charges during a presidential campaign, look, I don't know if it's going to catch up to him, but I know enough about politics to know that if you're given the choice of fighting felony raps during your presidential campaign or not fighting felony raps during your presidential campaign, most advisors would say it'd be best not to fight felony raps during your presidential (laughs) campaign. Having said that, We've never seen anything like this in the history of our country. I think a candidate who appears to be so resilient to so many things. I mean, all the old rules seem to be, seem to have gotten tossed out. And sometimes as a guy who spent much of my career covering this stuff, I still don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. The only thing I can chalk it up to is, is that uh, we keep, you know, like the media, um, present company excluded, uh, keeps treating him different. I mean, at the end of the day, like, look at what he said the, the other day. He he uh, said that he encouraged Russia to attack our allies. 
if I, everybody makes this <laughs> argument all the time, it gets tired. But like, if Joe Biden had said that, it's all we would hear about forever. Why does it just wash over us? Yeah. Well, I get it. The country has very low standards for this fool, but that doesn't mean that the people who cover it have to have low standards. The greatest trick that Donald Trump ever pulled was getting us to act like the norms don't apply to him. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that happened, he really could do whatever he wanted. Well, the norms don't apply to him because for some reason, voters don't apply the same norms to him as they do to everybody else. And I, it's, it's just, it, to me, it's just inexplicable. It remains inexplicable. You know how, um, when you get a, like, if you have a, like I have a 10 year old and he'll do stuff that will drive me crazy. And then I try and remember that I have a 10 year old and I'm like, okay, and my wife and I'll be like, all right, he's 10. He doesn't know. Like, he's not being ungrateful. He just doesn't know, right? Well, there's real danger in that if you take it too far, right? If you never hold your 10-year-old accountable for anything, right? And we treat him like a child. And at some point, we have to treat him like an adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that applies to Donald Trump. Yeah. Like, yeah. As a country, at some point, we're going to decide whether to treat him like an adult or not. Do you think Joe Biden's too old? No, um, I, I look. I don't think Joe Biden's too old. Um, I think it's important to remember that had they gone to the same high school, Joe Biden would have been a senior when Donald Trump was a freshman. Um, and I think that it, Joe Biden is busy doing stuff, and so he doesn't have time to put on like three feet of bronzer every day and sit in a makeup chair and do that kind of thing. And so maybe he looks a little older, um, but I. At the end of the day, you have to look at his record of accomplishment, and uh, and then you have to compare him to the alternative. <laughs> so no. Do you worry that if if the alternative is not Donald Trump, if it's Nikki Haley, a lot of folks say Nikki Haley would might be the better candidate for Republicans than Donald Trump? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I would love like. <laughs> I would love to be confronted with that because, yeah. look, I'm not a Nikki Haley fan, but I can at least say that if Nikki Haley were to be our next president, it wouldn't be our last election. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I, that would be a concern. But I'm I'm very firmly not in the camp of Democrats who are just really hoping that it is Donald Trump who's the nominee. Yeah. I don't. It's fire. I don't want to play with. Hey, before you go, you're very involved in the Veterans Community Project uh, based here in Kansas City. This is the group that builds tiny homes for military veterans here in town. You've expanded the footprint. You're doing it across the country. What are your latest plans well, to expand this nationally? Thanks, Steve. Um, yeah. yeah. So we now have opened and are operational in St. Louis as well as wow. outside Denver and as well as outside uh, – as well as in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Wow. And now uh, we're working on some additional cities as well. Um, it's a great job. I work with a great team. I'm the president of National Expansion yeah. there. It's now the longest civilian job I've ever had. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, and so, yeah, um, people can go to vcp.org if they want to support us. So it's getting bigger. Yeah, getting bigger and, and helping more people. That's exciting. That's Jason Kander. Again, his podcast is Majority 54, former Missouri Secretary of State. Always appreciate you coming in and sharing your views, Jason. Thanks, Thanks so for much. having me. You bet. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our interns are Lauren Texter and Gabby Martinez. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.